Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. Today with me, I have Dave Markowitz. Dave Markowitz is a two-time best-selling author, dynamic workshop leader, and intuitive healing facilitator. He teaches empaths and highly sensitive persons how to healthily protect themselves and how to heal absorbed energy that have led to anxiousness, lethargy, heavy-heartedness, physical pains, and more. Dave's book, Self-Care for the Self-Aware, was in Amazon's top 20 in its category for 41 consecutive months. His latest, Empathopedia, expands on that work and emphasizes how energetic and emotional support and a sense of connection with others are vital to the healing process. His work has been endorsed by Shirley MacLaine, Yanni and Brinkley, Lee Harris, Lynn Andrews, Paul Levy, and more. And he has shared the lecture bill with Deepak Chopra. Dave, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Those are some heavy hitters. I love them. Especially Lee Harris is so up and coming right now. Totally. Inspiration. Yes. Cool. So I love this new book, Empathopedia. It's amazing. And it's a great next step in the evolution of your work. And I completely love it and recommend it to anybody who's an empath and an HSP. Um. And, and particularly love your story in the beginning of the book. And I remember when I saw you at East West Bookshop years ago, you started off with the same story. Would you mind sharing that story of how you realized you were HSP with our listeners? Uh, well, sure. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the universe often sends you messages and sometimes when they're repeated, there's a lot to them. Well, several people had told me that I was an empath and I, for whatever reason at the time, I just didn't want to own it. I don't know if I thought it was too woo-woo. I just don't like labels to begin with. Uh, whatever it was, I just didn't want to own it. And I was invited out to a friend of a friend's birthday party and I didn't know until I got there that it was a, a bar crawl. So consisting of seven bars in seven hours. And I hadn't really drank since college, or as the chef from South Park likes to say, there's a time and place for everything, and it's called college. (laughs) But I'm there. I was new to town, to Portland, after living in New York for 45 years, and thought it would be a good idea, uh, a good way to meet people. And um, I just drank water the entire evening. At the end of the evening, I went to hail a cab, and it came out blurred, and I noticed I wasn't able to walk a straight line. I said, this feels like I'm drunk. This is really strange. Eventually got in a taxi because fortunately the universal sign to get one is the same in many places at least. And I remember sitting in the back of the taxi and thinking or having like some kind of message coming to me that said, this is what it's like to be an empath. You absorb things from other people and you feel what they're feeling and you've just absorbed the energy and the vibes, et cetera, of a lot of drunk people over the course of the last several hours. And and it was just like, of course, okay, I get it, right? Okay, okay, thanks. I was too stubborn before and uh, my experience woke me up. I think that's probably true with a lot of people. We can hear things over and over, but until we really have an experience, it's not really embodied. 
-hmm. And the most interesting part of that was the next day and from then on, and this was probably nine years ago, give or take, I, every new client that came to me was highly sensitive and or empathic. And I already had a reasonably successful medical intuition and energy healing practice. I was used to hearing things like, oh, your, you know, your tight muscles in your back, for example, are um, from being uh, angry at your father, which anyone who's reasonably aware of the mind-body connection would be open to that. Now I was hearing things like, you're holding the anger of your father. And people are saying, huh? You know, and I was kind of tilting my head also as the information was coming through me. And of course, the next question is, what do you do about that? And, you know, I'm straight up with everyone. I'm like, I have no idea, but we're going to find out. So just started intuiting how to work with it. And that became the basis for the two books that you mentioned. And you know, it was quite a wake up call. Like, oh, right. Okay. I'm, I guess I'm an empath. Not worth fighting this anymore. <laughs> you know, so. So what were your next steps working with clients then, you know, pointing out, okay, what is an, an empath and an HPC, HSP? And can you explain a little bit, is there a difference between the two? You know, I've seen a lot of articles and discussion and maybe going back to my original comment about not liking labels. I'm not a big fan of them, but I'll just share briefly because I understand the mind does need some kind of basis. And so a highly sensitive person, it's a pretty literal thing. I don't know how much we need to discuss with that. We feel things of other people, situations, environments, et cetera. I think the empath takes it one step further and doesn't just feel, but actually embodies so much to the point that we can be even diagnosed with a medical condition that is the end result of carrying so much of X, Y, or Z from other people. And uh, yeah, so you know, there's, I like to think of it at least in that way of being different. As far as what I did was I just kept tuning in. And what I saw was there were so many commonalities. One of the biggest ones, I think, was the over-responsibility. Mm. And what I was shown in the meditations and when I was working with people was, you know, we're all uh, recipients of incoming energy. But what is it about us that makes us be sort of like a walking sponge rather than a funnel? Yeah. And why, you know, and, and what is that doing? So it became really clear that the over-responsibility is what created that sponginess. If someone had a really clear sense of non-attachment, they'd be less likely to embody what's coming their way. They might just ideally just notice it. Oh, okay, some grief is coming my way or anger is coming my way or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be, you know, more so-called positive things too. And how do I choose to respond to what's coming my way? So that was pretty big. And then a few steps came to me as far as like how to prevent that incoming energy, not by walling, because that actually separates us from the person that we're trying to connect with or an end result of trying to separate ourselves from those that we don't want to connect with tends to bleed over into those that we do. So we lose our ability to really feel other people's experiences. And I think that's one of our superpowers. So I had to work, show people how to work with that and uh, again, be more of a funnel than a sponge. We still want to experience what's there because there's information in that transmission that can be for ourselves or for others. But if we're blocking it all the time by putting up walls, putting up mirrors, putting ourselves in the white light or bubbles, those are all very separating, separating ideas, mm -hmm. which I get and it makes sense. And the left brain says, of course, I want to be separate from this 
potentially challenging person or persons. But that it's basically shutting down our superpower and the ability to connect with people. And then I had to figure out how to heal those processes, and it just kept coming to me. You know, and you do things enough, it becomes uh, very obvious that there's something there. And again, that became those books. So uh, it, was, it was an interesting process. You know, I have no regrets. It was all good. Um, I don't think I've seen anyone from that bar crawl since. <laughs> I, just thought of that. I just thought of that. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I agree, too, that it's um, better not to wall off because then you are shutting down part of your gift and not receiving the information that you could potentially be receiving. But winding back to that responsible part, why do HSPs feel responsible for others? You know, and how does that affect us? Yeah, a lot of potential. But one of the things that I saw that were most common was as children, we, uh, unconsciously many much of the time do things to help navigate a certain situation and we are our egos are trying to form some sense of identity who am i in this person am i an instigator like this person or am i a peacemaker like this person what's my uh my job here and what i found was by working with so many people that identified as empathic or, or highly sensitive was at some point we sensed that someone was ill or even just upset. And as kids, we think the world revolves around us and with good reason, if you see the life of an infant, typically the parent's world lives, lives, you know, is, is all around the child. So we get this sense of connection or a way of giving or even receiving love by reaching out energetically, but the child mind can't really decipher we don't always know what to do with that one of the examples that was shown to me that i think will make this a little bit clearer was that and, and we've all had this experience we were in a room with an infant and if the infant gets upset a lot of people in the room then get upset oh my god what's wrong with the baby are they hungry are they, you know all these questions come up and and with good reason but the opposite is also true we all seen the the giggling baby and all oh my oh my the baby's giggling so what I was shown was as the baby is receiving this information, there's this sense of responsibility that shows up that says who I'm being can actually control some things outside of myself, uh, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. And if that's not managed, that's going to be taken out into adult life as well. And we'll, be, we'll take things very personally. Um, which is also a very common empath trait. Uh, and we feel things so deeply. And so a lot of us really want that peace. We want that nurturing. We want that connection. Um, we just, a lot of us didn't get it to the degree that we wanted to as kids. So we try to recreate that to heal that original wounding. Mm -hmm. So it's this really interesting cycle that can, you know, can start in a number of different ways, but that's one of the more, more common ones where I learned that as kids, we learn we're responsible for the energies and maybe even the actions of other people in the room with us. And you can see, you can just imagine, or you know, from your experience or from yeah. others that you know, that's, that's, uh, it's going to get, you know, it's going to get, you know, it's going to smack you in the face at some point. And, you, and we got to wake up to, oh, wait a second, that person is responding from their wounding. 
having nothing to do with what I'm doing or saying or being. I might be a light for them. I might actually help them heal something by help them see what's happening within them. Uh, not when they're really angry, of course. You don't want to be like, um, oh, you're welcome for, uh, oh, that's not like something like, I think you mean thank you <laughs> because I'm bringing up a wound for you to heal. You might not want to say that in the moment uh, unless you really, really know someone, you have that capability or uh, type of relationship. I tend to really surround myself with people that I can do that with. But even so, it's good to just kind of sit back, let the person have their feelings, honor whatever's true for them, and then discuss it. Say, okay, you know, what I said before, you know, I'll apologize as needed, of course, and then say, you know, did that remind you of something or someone in the past? And almost always, it's a yes. Mm -hmm. So that's a long answer to your question, isn't it? Okay. That's a wonderful answer. And okay. it also makes me think about boundaries, what you're talking about. You know, being mm -hmm. responsible or feeling responsible for somebody, you know, and trying to fix them, heal them, you know, especially, you know, if you're a healer, an empath or HSP, HSP, you can fall into that quite easily. Can you talk about boundaries and being an empath? Sure. Um, those words are almost opposite sometimes, but we want to, we want to change that. Yes. So as an empath, we want to be really conscious that we're not responsible for the thoughts or feelings or emotions and experiences of other people. One of the best images, because a lot, you know, a lot of things, you know, we can just talk and talk and that's fine, but sometimes an image can really do a lot. So what I actually have people do is put their hands out like, like such, mm -hmm. say, this is you and this is the other person. And then we're going to come together. So if you want to do it, just bring it together. You may feel some energy or heat coming between you. But as you come together, an unhealthy relationship does this. It becomes enmeshed. And if you look or angle your fingers towards your face and look down and you wiggle your fingers without really consciously saying, oh, my left hand's facing this way, so the fingers must be this, it's hard to even tell which fingers belong to which hand. It's a symbol of enmeshment. So the vision of a healthy relationship is more something like this. So we'll try that again. And this is you and this is the other person. Now you're meeting them and you can become really close with, with permission, of course. Right? Become really close and actually touch that person. But there's no enmeshment happening. And what's really interesting, if you look at this hand position, this is namaste or the prayer position, right? So to me, this is the ultimate honoring of someone else's being. Uh, the beauty in me sees the beauty in you. And that's a healthy relationship when you can see that beauty in someone else, but not feel you have to get up in their grill, as the kids might say. <laughs> um, I don't have to fix that person. I, and a lot of times that comes from our own pain. If someone's being really belligerent, for example, the empath will try to calm that down, partly because we care for the other person, but also in part because it's uncomfortable for us to feel those emotions. Mm -hmm. So there's a tremendous healing opportunity when that happens. And what appears to be really altruistic is often not so much. So we want to be really conscious of the intermixing of energies and how to really honor that person and hold space for them, especially if they need to share something vulnerable without getting in. This is also a symbol for judgment, non-acceptance. It's just total, it's just kind of gross, you know? <laughs> but we all do it. I've certainly done it in the past may do it again, but uh, knowing differently and now I can act upon that and really try to meet people where they are 
it's much easier for myself. The energy flow comes through me much more cleanly, more purely, probably a better word. And the other, other persons can feel that because no one really wants to be fixed. Even if they're coming to you as, uh, as a client, they don't really want to be fixed. They, that's just not the right energy for it. They don't want to feel that they're broken. So I just think we're all in the process of healing. So if someone says, I'm broken, I'm messed up, or other words similar, I'll say, well, what if you're just healing? Yeah. You know, why do we need to get super critical about it? Nothing ever good happened from self-criticism or criticism of the other. Uh, so it's, and it's not to deny the shadow aspects of anyone. It's to honor all of them in full. So the, the bordered person is able to open and really just kind of meet someone. Um, the border um, deficient person <laughs> or the borderless personality disorder, <laughs> uh, that's where the trouble happens. But it's a starting point, right? It's, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's a starting point. And then we can consciously work with that. How do I increase my connection with this person and still maintain my sense of self and still honor them for who they are? It, it does take some work, but I think it's one of the most powerful things I've ever learned is to hold the space without needing to micromanage. And, and some just don't want that. Some want it to some degree. But there's the, you know, I call it the two E's. Um, people either want empowerment or empathy. So if someone's saying, oh, my life sucks, I'm never going to get ahead, I can't heal from X, Y, or Z, and they're looking for empathy, and I come at them with empowerment, kind of like maybe Tony Robbins style, like, okay, what are we going to do about that? Okay, let's get a job, let's do this, and like get all amped and get into the type A side. And not that that's wrong or bad, but if it's not called for in the moment, I've lost them. And the same thing is true in the reverse. So uh, empaths tend to be able to give empathy really well, and it does create a deep connection. And maybe from that place, then we can do the um, left brain planning, but ideally after the emotions have been healed because they can skewer the rational, the, the linear thought. I like where you're coming from that because it is very empowering. So oftentimes I see and also in myself where you can get really disempowered because you're feeling so much and micromanaging so much, you know, your family or your work environment or something like that, that you're basically handing over your power without even realizing it. So how can empaths and HSPs, retrieve that back, you know, get empowered, re-empowered or empowered with themselves. Cause there's a lot of people pleasing that goes on and yeah. you know, in a lot of people's lives and they've lost Definitely. that power, that personal empowerment. That's another one of the more common uh, characteristics of people who are I'll say untrained empaths, the people pleasing. And Sometimes it is the path of least resistance and it's such a bad idea sometimes, but overall it can get really draining because yeah, you're losing your sense of self in that. So the first thing to do is notice it and then don't beat yourself up for it because it's very easy to get self-critical, but that's not your true voice speaking. That's your voice of one or both parents or a school teacher or a music teacher that said, you know, just not getting it, are you, Dave? You know, <laughs> Not that I had that happen of course but <laughs> so 
So be really conscious of it and then make different choices. But the, and, and that's a very mental thing and it's very helpful, but the deeper healing happens when we get into the emotional body, when we let ourselves have the experience of whatever we're trying to heal. So if there's a sadness associated with people pleasing that I've never been able to voice my true self, I should let myself have that sadness or even anger, experience it and heal it from the inside out. And typically on the other side of that, it makes that mental game much easier because the blockage isn't there anymore. And the clarity that all of us, I think, are seeking in any number of situations, in my experience, is shows up after the emotional release. Mm -hmm. We tend to do it in reverse because you know it's a linear 3D world and that's what most of us were taught. But just for example, if someone has, um, let's just say a headache, the first question someone might ask is, okay, um, what's this headache about? And if I know what it's about, I'll know what to do about it. It's certainly an understandable question. But it's also using the mind to figure out something that probably went awry within the mind originally. So if we let ourselves have the sadness or the anger or the fear, if we feel into the headache, actually ask for it to be increased, turn the volume up on it. I know it sounds scary, but in a safe container, anything can happen safely. And then feel that emotion. And often it's um, much less challenging than we think it's going to be. And on the other side of that release is that clarity. It's really opposite what most of us do. I do it too. I get it. I'm not like perfect, but I have a good understanding. And when I remember to do that, I get really, really clear guidance on what to do, what to offer, um, and when. I mean, it can be super specific, but I don't think that comes from just thinking about things. And in fact, when we get too lost in the emotions, I think we are more susceptible to believe anything. So a lot of um, conspiracy theories, for example, you know, the people who are propagating those, whether or they're starting them or continuing them, are typically in a lot of fear. And they're seeing the world through, the, through that lens. Even professional intuitives, I've seen it quite often. If the shadow self hasn't been worked with, it skewers the vision. And of course, they'll swear, no, this is it. This is what spirit's showing me. And I believe that because I've been there, but I also... Now I'm more able to step back, work through the shadow elements, and be much more confident that what I'm hearing is a higher truth. So, you know, through the eyes of love, if you will, mm -hmm. as opposed to fear, because, um, and, and we're seeing it more and more, especially lately. Um, hopefully when people listen to this in the future, they'll be like, what? A COVID pandemic? Hopefully it'll be over soon enough to... Uh, deal with but even that there's just so much misinformation everywhere and i get it it's it's the the mind wants something tangible even if it's uh out there shall we say <laughs> or or even if it's not true the mind wants something tangible and it will hang on to that and because of the way the quantum quantum universe works you will then find information or people or both that will confirm that reality and you will swear up and down that X, Y, or Z is true, even if 99% of the planet says it isn't. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're all coming from our own experiences. Exactly. That's for sure. So working with that shadow self, going back to that, um, 
embracing those emotions, especially when we're triggered. Do you have advice for HSPs and empaths when it comes to working with those, you know, delicate emotions and kind of working through those so we're not projecting them onto other people? Yeah, it's a great question. And most of the egos that hear this or left brains are not going to like it, but it's just what I believe to be true. Well, my experience has shown me to be true, which is not to try to do it on your own. Going into your own shadow is really scary for most, if not all. I mean, it's hard to say all about anything, but pretty much anyone I know ever has, you know, uh, had at minimum extreme difficulty accessing those darker places on their own. The mind just doesn't want to go there. It just doesn't feel safe. Now, sometimes it's kind of forced. Situations will force us to go there. But if you're trying to do healing, work with a quality practitioner or someone who understands this who's not going to judge your shadow. Having seen my shadow in effect years back, I really became aware of what it was and how it can manifest. And as painful as it was, the ability to have compassion for anyone in any place is just so at the ready. It's just such a natural thing for me right now. And people pick up on that. So a lot of people that come to me are really ready to do the deeper work. I don't really get people looking for just you know, just a two-minute energy clearing kind of thing. And if that's your thing, fine. I don't really mean to be judgmental about that because I understand there's a place and time for all these things. Mm-hmm. But the people that find me are typically willing to go into that shadow and and work with it in a supportive environment that, and then integrate it, not push it away, not deny it, not say it's not real, not to say, oh, I don't do anger. I literally had someone once say to me, oh, I don't do anger. Every muscle in my body was tight, and I just had to say, well, you know, your body's telling me a different story. She didn't like it, you know, and I try to be gentle, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes gentle doesn't work. And I don't mean, like, not gentle as in rude. I mean, I didn't, I didn't intend it that way. She may have taken it that way, but direct, direct and truthful. And, you know, whether it was planting a seed that will germinate the next day for her or 20 years later, I don't know, but I got a really clear guidance to challenge her as lovingly as possible on what she was perceiving to be her reality, which clearly wasn't. So, um, yeah, so get help. It's, you know, years and years ago, way before you were born, you know, therapy was seen as a negative thing. It was seen like only weak people go there. And now... It's like on Facebook, like, oh, I went to my therapist today. And they said, like, no one thinks anything of it. But still, the ego doesn't like to reach out for help, especially if we think we have all the knowledge. So it even says in my most recent book, you can read this over and over and over. And that's great. I love that. But until you apply it and until you are willing to go to that next step, it's just going to be mental knowledge. You got to put the steps in action. And that's true really with anything. But there's been this... I don't know, sort of movement in the new age or metaphysical communities that say it's only love and light. And if you just think positive things, only good things are going to happen. And I think we've all seen the end results of that. And still the ego hangs on to that too. There are still people to this day that um, are so well immersed in that paradigm that if I mentioned, yeah, we need to bring up some of that sadness. Remember that time you were abandoned when you were dropped off on that, whatever. I mean, it could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, nah, I don't really want to go there. I'm like, okay, great. If you don't want to go there, that's cool. But 
this is not, you know, this is the end result of what you've been doing. And if what you've been doing has been working, you wouldn't be in front of me right now. So let's try something a little bit different and uh, see where it goes. Just let's, let's, let's step into it and see what happens. Right? You can't, you don't know what temperature a pool is, you know, unless it's steaming or ice. You know, it could be 40 or 140 until you dip your toe in. So sometimes we need to step into that discomfort a little bit. And I try to make it as safe a place as possible. And, you know, knock wood, people have mentioned that they feel that. So I feel really blessed and honored to be able to be part of that deeper healing because I, I think it's really necessary. And, you know, I think as time is going on, there's been more awareness of shadow self. Mm-hmm, it's spoken about a bit more. Um, you know, who can say if it's enough or not? I mean, I guess it's not enough if we're in the mess that we're in right now. But like we said earlier, we're healing, not just as individuals, but as a collective. Yeah, I agree. And it's better to dip our toe in and work on those shadow parts of ourselves and those triggers and try not to bypass them. You know, it's it's one thing to have awareness about them, but it's another one to work on them and transform them and then reintegrate back into ourselves. For sure. So for those people who are kind of are resistant to, um, focusing on those things and they're out there in the world and they're taking on all of this energy. Can you explain like the clients that come to you and, you know, they have these symptoms that are the result of constantly and empathically transmitting energies, you know, could you explain that a little bit? Uh, How to, how to heal that you mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're taking on that energy and they're not realizing that taking on that energy is turning into pain, discomfort. Yeah. In their own body. There are, t- there are times when I'll do a very direct intuitive read. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm sensing that this is happening, that you're carrying your mother's grief, for example. And other times, I to our earlier point about holding space, I'll ask them to focus on their body and I'll send what might be considered a supportive cushion, if you will, or a big comfy chair type of energy to them. So they're really feeling held and safe. And in that place, a lot of people can see it for themselves. So it's not like I have to twist arms, especially when someone really sees, wow, okay, or senses or feels, ah, I've been holding my mother's grief. It's much different in that respect than me telling them. So if someone's hesitant, I take them through maybe different processes. I actually enjoy, I mean, some one guy uh, a couple of years ago, he just started right out with, hey, you know, I'm a real skeptic about what you're doing here. And I think he really wanted me to say, oh, don't be a skeptic, like, you know, sort of like fight him a little bit. And I have no interest in that because it doesn't get anywhere. So I just said, awesome. And he just was like silent for a moment. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I love that skepticism. I have it too. I have a left brain. Um, I honor every part of that skepticism. Let's work with that. What's that about? Um, where were you hurt earlier? Like, I mean, whatever the question is, I mean, it just comes to me intuitively in the moment. Mm-hmm. So there's different ways of working with different people that typically come to me. But overall, it's a teaching prevention techniques and then doing that healing work. And if it's not that person's energy, we'll just stay with that example. If it's their mom's grief that's being held, we go through a process to give that grief back to her, that person's mother. And the initial reaction to that often is like, oh, hell's to the no, I'm not going to do that. Mom's already depressed. That's going to put her over the edge. But what I was shown was it's actually giving her a gift. 
the only hesitancy comes because our own judgments, we were taught uh, that grief is not good. And grieving is how your body, I compare it to the immune system. It's kind of like the emotional immune system. If you have a blockage of sadness in your body and you don't allow it to express, you're going to get sick. If you're holding someone else's sadness, you're going to get sick. So by giving someone back their energy, they then have a more potentially a more clear perception of what's going on within them. They're actually more whole, even if what we're giving back is deemed negative by our own fears. Once we recognize that grieving is a gift, it's much easier to give it back to who it belongs to. Now that other person, in this case, someone's mom, may or may not do their work. We can't attach to that. That's going to be an invitation to misery if we attach to that. But what happens even in just a few minutes of doing that process is the person I'm working with will typically feel lighter, more grounded, more heart-centered, more open, more energized, happier. And the other person typically doesn't feel much. What's also really interesting that I see a lot is that after that's done, that person's relationship with their mother in this example will, will potentially improves because you're both coming from a place of wholeness or more whole anyway, as opposed to one being overburdened, my client, with that person's energy and the other person actually missing a vital part of their being. So it's a way of bringing things back into an overall wholeness and, and it actually heals those grief-related illnesses. Um, and that, you know, I know in traditional Chinese medicine, grief typically shows up in lungs and large intestine. A few other areas are mentioned. I've seen it in someone's nose and someone's toes. It's everywhere. Empaths are grief magnets. So we have to really aware, be really aware of that and work with it in a healthy way that honors grieving as something healthy and beneficial. And we have to really work with our perceptions a bit as well to recognize, wow, this is actually how I heal. And it's funny, I've heard the phrase, good grief. I've heard the phrase, I just had a good cry. Or, you know, but still, people don't want to go there because the mind says often says, if I go there, I'm never going to come out. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is the exact opposite is actually true. That fear is what keeps us stuck and, and full of symptoms. So. Um, you know, knock wood, it's gotten tremendous results, um, you know, daily. I mean, I've worked literally with thousands of people over the last decade. And the things I've seen sort of defy rational explanation at the same time. It actually seems very logical to me right now, maybe not at first, um, the whole process and how it works. And it's all metaphysical. The the giving back part is, uh, you know, after uh you know, we'll stick with that example. We'll stick with that example for a moment. You don't have to call your mom and say, hey, mom, you know, I'm holding your grief. Uh, can I give it back to you? <laughs> They're going to think you're crazy, right? They might just send the white coats after you. Um, it doesn't involve any kind of physical movement or action. It's all done metaphysically. And I, I guide people through that all the time. And the other part of that is the grief that we're feeling. Uh, it can be one person or several and it usually is, but it can also be from the collective unconscious, which, as you know, from certainly right now, mm-hmm. potentially higher than it's ever been, certainly in my lifetime that I can remember with the COVID uh, pandemic. And most haven't really processed that grieving because grieving needs to happen whether you lose your favorite pen 
or you bury your grandma, your body is familiar and used to something, uh, familiar with or used to, to something, and then it's not there anymore. Our old way of life is gone. It's never going back exactly the way it was, which for many is scary as heck, and for many is a very exciting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so the process, uh, it also can involve ancestors, right? And there are a lot of practices that say, I need to heal my ancestors, grief, anger, whatever it is. And I get that. I'm not here to argue with that. I'm here to ask questions and, and say, is my own, I'll just stick to myself here, is my own small Dave self responsible for my grandparents and great-parents and great-great-grandparents' pain? And it just never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. What I've seen is if I do my own work, it can affect others around me, potentially affect the lineage in any direction. But if I'm looking at the biggest possible picture, it seems overwhelming, and that's where I'm going to get stuck. Like, so it's too big a job for one person to do. Mm-hmm. Ironically, when we work on ourselves, it actually does that anyway. But it's a mindset that's very different when we work on ourselves. That it seems a bit more tangible than working with your family lineage or your ancestors from who knows when. Um, and if you add in the past life thing, it's not just physical ancestry, it's energetic as well. Mm-hmm. Full level. So there's a lot going on, <laughs> you know, and a lot needs to be healed. So I'm just doing my part. Uh, I've, I've said yes, and I'm continuing to say yes until I, whatever reason, say no, <laughs> or other people say no to me. Um, it's, it's, you know, we're all out of our place. It's awesome. I'm glad you're here doing the work. And that is a great section in your book where you do, you discuss that, and it's really informative and makes you like stop and think, you know, about doing your work and how just doing your part, you know, affects, you know, everything else. I like another question from your book. How can I minimize or eliminate the effects of the collective unconscious upon my individual self? Yeah. So one is continual, ideally, because habits don't just, boom, got them. Habits form over time. Some people say it takes 90 days find it a very arbitrary number. Some are going to get it much sooner. Some are going to be much longer, depending on what it is and what you're trying to sort of overwrite. So um, reminding ourselves that we're not responsible for the thoughts, feelings, emotions, and experiences of anyone else is part of it. Using the keyhole exercise, which is described in Chapter 2, which we alluded to earlier, I don't think we named it, is how to let the energy come in. Just sense it just briefly just to feel what's there because that's our superpower and then to be able to let that go through as opposed to the walling those are two things i found most important and most powerful and consistently effective but like anything else we have to do it you can't just oh i got it oh that makes sense got it all right that was what i found really popular in some of the prior movements i was in it's just as soon as the awareness was raised okay got it move on to the next there was not a lot of integration Integration happens by doing, by experiencing. If we can experience energy coming in and us being with it and just even embracing it, and the phrase I use is keep what's meant for me, let go, it's not. So it's basically telling the universe, okay, I'm open to what's coming my way because this gets really tiring. And I'm also not responsible for keeping it. So in really intense times, it's super important to do this. And I forget too, I'm, I'm human. I've been teaching this for almost a decade, give or take. And there are days where I forget to do it. And at the end of the day, I'll be like, 
<laughs> oh, right. I forgot to use my own tool. And I can beat myself up in that moment or I can say, that doesn't mean anything. All it means is that I'm human and I forgot. Not a big deal. And then I just do it right there in the moment. So uh, that's a big part of it. It's a, great, it's, a, it's a practice like anything else. But I think of it like, like learning a language. You don't, very few people can take a weekend immersion and just be totally fluent. Yeah, it takes years to get there, and especially if we're overriding or adding on to, in the case of the language, a different way of being or a different system. Uh, what I've also seen is the more that we employ the newer beliefs and the newer understandings, the less energy goes to the old patterns. So the volume kind of gets turned down on that part that says, oh, I'm responsible. I need to go fix this. I need to go do this with this thing person and I can start feeling in more and say okay is that my pattern speaking or is that my truth speaking and if it's my pattern I can really look at it and say what does my truth want for me right now what's the highest and best possible use of my energy it does take practice but I don't see how healing or any good spiritual growth practice happens without present moment awareness I think most would agree with that yeah definitely can you speak a little bit more about pattern and truth awareness um, yeah the pattern is your uh, conditioned belief system it's the part that says for, for me it said if someone's crying i'm a bad person i need to do something to stop them from crying which in my past had been like telling a joke or distracting like i could do with a baby like oh baby's crying here's a rattle distraction it's not much different right but as time has gone on i realized that pattern is very disempowering to self and doesn't really help the other person either so why am i doing it because it's a pattern, right? So if I slow down enough, really challenge myself to get past that, get through that, not beat myself for beat myself up for having it, but get through it and like internally feel into the situation and ask what's the best use of my time, energy, money, whatever in this moment, or what does this person really need? Do they need empowerment or empathy? Do they need a hug? Do they need $5? Do they need a meal? Do they need repeated sessions. I mean, it could be anything, but if I'm in my pattern, that's the Dave part of me speaking, which doesn't know anything compared to the spiritual aspect. So it's really a kind of way of saying, am I listening to my conditioned belief system or my fear, my guilt, my over-responsibility, or am I listening to my higher truth, my connection with spirit, my highest love, my compassion itself? It's a, you can imagine the difference. Oh, the cool thing with that also, I think, is when we're acting from our pattern, it's very constrictive to our energy flow. It really creates a lot of blockages. Whereas if we're living our truth, I think it's a very different energy. I mean, I feel, it's not just to think, I could feel a very different energy. I'm much more open, present, vibrant, uh, aware, compassionate when I'm in my higher truth. Um, so it's part of the healing process to stop being in, in the guilt and fear and shame not that those things are bad and there's separate processes for working with those but to be at least cognizant of that's the part of me that's speaking right now and then work from there oh i like that how do we pay attention and train ourselves to listen to those subtler cues in our body mind or spirit yeah well the more we do our work the more we're clearing out those layers that aren't ours at least with this work, that's what I do. Yeah. And when that's gone, or at least dissipated or dissipating, it makes the internal 
awareness a lot higher and easier to access. So like anything else, you do the work and the rewards come. And uh, eventually we get to a place where that becomes the automatic response, right? So if I'm working with someone and they're crying now, I don't even have to, I don't even go into it. It's not even a thought that says, oh, I did something wrong. I immediately feel in my heart. I, I just know in my heart, this is actually helpful for them. But if I continue to hold the space that got them there to begin with, I'm really blessing them. I'm, I'm giving them the best gift I can give in that moment. And like we said earlier, on the other side of that is the clarity. And that's when they're not only more clear on what's within themselves, there's a, a deeper connection with me, then we can bring it to a much deeper place of prior woundings or whatever it is that was there. So it's not just consciously choosing a higher path, it's removing the barriers to it that I think is most helpful. Great. And I loved what you wrote about interdependence. Could you share with our listeners about that and the, the alternatives? Yeah, similar to that um, enmeshment, mm -hmm. there's a, a lot of us have experienced in some degree a codependent relationship. And then comes this movement, probably in the 90s, give or take, that says uh, we can be independent. We can make our own decisions. We can be our own best source of information, et cetera. And I get that, but it's also very appealing to the ego. Oh, I don't need that person. I don't need that teacher. And people start out lectures by saying, I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. When someone says that, I want to say, so what the hell am I paying you for? Right? I want to know something I don't know. Okay, <laughs> that's you're the expert. Let me, you know, share share the share your wisdom. So, um, working with that and um, realizing that both of those are extremes, but in unhealthy places, uh, codependency or independency. Now, um, I think the healthier place is right in the middle, or what some might call interdependency, where we can work as a team. And I mentioned that in Pathopedia book because a lot of people that have read that have also read every other book on healing. Mm -hmm. And if they're still reading, they're not doing, and they might not be healing to the degree, the degree that they'd like to be. So I point that out and say, okay, everything in here is mental knowledge. But until you do the work, it's just gonna be mental knowledge, which means you might be a wonderful teacher one day, but you're not gonna be healing or healed yourself. So working with that interdependency, finding someone, like we said earlier, to hold space, um, and also finding or allowing other people that will get you to come into your life. And you know, having moved after 45 years in one city and really not knowing too many people here, I knew two people, one a little bit, one a little less than a little bit. And I really was so starting over. And I noticed that as I did my work, different people would show up. But when I thought back, I remembered that actually happened before I even moved. I remember people just sort of falling off. Not that we had any kind of big argument or anything, but we just kind of separated or went our different ways. And always someone would come to fill that void, that energetic void. But because I was vibrating at a higher frequency, if you want to use that phrase, then I get met with someone who can and meet me there. So 
and it's not to discard others. I think it's really important to not get judgmental about things or people that we feel we've outgrown because if that's true, then we clearly haven't outgrown our own issues about judging people. So it's important to honor everyone where they are, but at the same time, we can focus or interact more with the people that we resonate with while still holding space in our hearts for those that we don't resonate with. Nice. And we find ourselves in a state of stress right now with the pandemic. So could you discuss our mental reaction to that stress, you know, and how we can manage that? Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty common that we hear in the, in this movement that it's not what happens. It's how we respond to it. The power is given up when we're trying to focus and get other people to change and do things differently. Every time I meditate on that, I always hear you do you not in those words, but that idea, which, which to me means I need to be the best self that I can possibly be in mind, body, soul, spirit, every, every possible layer that if I take care of my body and allow my immune system to, to do what it needs to do, probably going to be pretty healthy. Um, I've increased my meditation. I've uh, changed the format of my sessions somewhat, which perhaps we can go into. Made a fair amount of changes in my individual and professional life because of this. And sure, I absolutely had my moments of stress and fear. But as soon as I would catch that, I would slow down and really start and allowed the feeling to be there, not to judge it, not to say, oh my God, what's this fear about? It's wrong, it's bad, that's never gonna help. But allow myself to have that fear, the fear of X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. And again, ideally in a safe container. Mm-hmm. And what I kept getting was just be the, you know, you do you, be the best you, you can be, share your gift. As long as you say yes, spirit will be there. So, uh, it's a challenging time for many. I get it. And especially if you are yourself um, affected directly or you know someone that is, it's very easy to uh, see it from an outside perspective. It's kind of like a lot of different things that say, you know, that unless it, unless it hits you personally, you don't really feel it. You're not really aware of it. Uh, And we get our wake-up calls, whether it's a pandemic or a diagnosis or whatever it is. And we can choose it. We can choose to use it as an evolutionary tool. It's not denying the pain that it's causing at all. It's not denying the grief that it's bringing up for people. Mm -hmm. It's not denying the, the heroes that are on the front lines. It's honoring them and at the same time honoring myself to be the best I can be. And that sends out a different vibration than my fear. Yeah. I, I, I try to accentuate that. Um, it's challenging, but I don't know anything that's really come to anyone as a result of not being challenged that was not worth the effort, basically. So um, some set like to say the universe doesn't want us to work that hard. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true. Maybe we do need to experience things that are really difficult to get through them, to know that we can. So all the should-bes don't really work in my world. There's what is and there's what's clearly effective and there's clearly what's not effective. Denial, repression, uh, patriarchy, 
environmental destructions are obviously not working. <laughs> so it's time to choose differently. Yes, I agree. It is. For all of us empaths and HSPs out there that are experiencing this and tapping into the collective conscious, do you have any advice on how to manage all of that? Well, first allow it to be there. Don't judge it. And uh, use the tools that are in the book, the preventative tools that will be really helpful. And honor whatever you're feeling. The fear, the grief, the anger, rage, whatever it is. The truth is on the other side of that. And uh, we're not here to fight with parts of ourselves. I mean, we do all the time, but I don't think that serves us. Short answer, but. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're also kind of in the midst, you know, everybody's talking about spiritual awakening and you actually um, talk about it in your book. It was kind of cool to see that in there. So to awakening and doing our work, which I think is super paramount, uh, paramount right now. Um, could you explain like your feelings around that and what you see happening possibly? I don't see anything happening as far as like futures. Um, I trust that at some point everyone will get in touch with the love in their heart. And did I say art? That's interesting. Love in their heart. I meant with an H both. Um, and if that happens tomorrow or 10,000 years from now, I don't know, but I'm committed to doing everything I can in the moment with what I've got to make the world and my own experience a better place. Um, I remember a line in a book once said something like, there's no other game in town. There's really nothing else for you to do, even though your mind, not yours particularly, but the mind in general will like to distract us from our mission and get caught up in the things that we can't control. That's, that's one of the things that I found uh, most detrimental to our, to our growth is the distractions. So having a quality partner, whether it's intimate partner or housemate or uh, clients that remind me to continue, continually be my best, uh, having support systems around, uh, super important. This can be a great time of awakening, but it also can be a, a darkening in some ways. Uh, you know, to our earlier point about, you know, our wounding creates how we see things. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't convince someone that's had a horrible childhood, for example, that the universe has its best interest at heart. They have to come to that, hopefully by me modeling or someone else modeling how it's how we can be in the face of adversity. But it's not about convincing, it's about honoring what's true and working from there. And kind of like that earlier guy, like welcoming the skeptics. It's okay, you can be a skeptic. I'm not promising the world. I'm not saying that what I'm doing is a panacea. I'm not saying I'm perfect, far from it. I'm saying that I've worked with thousands of empaths and HSPs over the last decade. And prior to that, probably did, but didn't know I was doing that. Um, and I've gotten great results through these tools that keep coming to me. And by holding the space of love and compassion and allowing people to have their experience without making them wrong. A lot of people have come to me and they've said that they've gone to their practitioner and that practitioner has said something to the effect of, oh, it's all in your head. 
And that's painful to hear. Interestingly, in a quantum reality, there's actually truth to it. But the way that it's said in those respects are very condescending. It's not like it's all in your head and we could do something about it. It's like, oh, it's all in your head and there's something wrong with you and you better get on medications tomorrow before something happens. I don't find that very helpful. But again, I can't control that. I can be there for the people that are landing from that pain. And that pain can be a big catalyst for change. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we wake up often from pain. And we might not like it, but I've literally had several people who I've worked with that have been diagnosed with cancer sometimes many years back um, who have literally said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And the first time I heard it, I was like, you know, <laughs> excuse me, can you repeat that? But now I get it because there were messages in those pains and illness for them. And I was able to help them ascertain what those messages were. And they're not only alive, but thriving. Yeah, I agree. It can really turn your, turn your life around. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'm going to step, go back a little bit, backtrack to empath and HSP and what's going on in the world right now and what we absorb, what we're absorbing. So what limits our ability to determine, you know, what's mine and what's not? And then figuring that out. And do you have a tool maybe you could share with our audience about, you know, how to differentiate between what's ours and what's not? Yeah, there are a number of different things you can use and depending on the person. <clears throat> so for example, if someone's very visual, I might have them visualize like a, a balance or a scale. I'll say, okay, one side is your truth, one side's a pattern, or one side is your uh, absorbed energy from someone else, one side is yours. And just let, you know, and it requires some trust and some openness and allowing. Just allow the vision to be there and let's ask the universe slash your body to show you which one is more weighty right now, right? It's, oh, oh okay, so now we know what it is. Um, some people are more visceral, so I'll have them feel into their body and does it feel more constricted or more open, right? That'll be the pattern versus truth question. It can also be used for other things. Some people muscle test. Um, some people are more um, clairaudient. They can hear things. So to get to that place, though, doing that inner work to clear out the boundaries to that clarity is a good precursor. Uh, once that's done, it's actually pretty easy. Um, but the thing that's also interesting, I know in the book it says if it's someone else's, do this, and if it's yours, do this. Well, a lot of times we can get caught up on like, well, which one do I do? I need to know. And I get that. Um, but it's also opens up to the possibility of, A, what if I surrender, allow myself to be guided? And the other part is, and this challenges other people's perceptions and beliefs about what some call perfectionism. What if you guess wrong? You're not going to screw anything up the worst that can happen is if you spend a few minutes nothing works and you try something else trial and error so we don't always need to know that so concretely we just step into it and see if it resonates and what it brings up and what it doesn't bring up um, so there's a lot of possibilities um, depending on the person and and where they're at right so or just ask me or ask another intuitive <laughs> that's another way of doing it. it's a lot easier 
<laughs> but ultimately, I like to really empower people so that eventually they can do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important these days, you know, that self, self-empowerment piece. We are running out of time. We could talk for hours. I think there's so much information in your book and so many juicy tidbits, you know, to discuss. Is there anything that you would like to share in closing with our listeners? Yeah, um, considering what's happened recently with the pandemic, I think many people's lives have been upturned and downturned and, and just turned, just changed in dramatic ways. And fighting that is not going to work. So. I've changed my work in in, in, a, in a way I'll show, share with you in a second was a lot of people don't have the income for the private sessions. Now, I've, I've always kept my rates within reason, I think. I know someone who's literally charging about eight times more than I am per hour. And they're the first person to say that we don't do anything different. We do the same thing. We just attract different people. I'm like, all right, that's fine. If I'm working with people that don't have the big money, but they're still in pain, and they're willing to put something out to get out of pain and look for clarity, I'm all for it. So I don't need that big price tag. Um, but I've, I've lowered the prices on that f- for one, but also I started doing a lot more group work. And currently it's a pay what you can process. So I've had people pay very little and some people pay a lot more. So it balances out energetically, financially. It's fine with me. Um, that's nice. Per- There's so much healing in group work. Right. There's a support in group work that's very different. And when you're in a room with a bunch of people that resonate, and obviously it's done online, and some people have challenges with that, and I get that too, but just turn off the video or use my tools mm-hmm. to prevent the incoming energy, and you're going to have a pretty good experience. So it's made the work very affordable, and I intuited initially at least seven different subjects like healing grief, healing abandonment, uh, working with entities, um, which is a whole bunch of different things. And I've been doing two a week now for about, I don't know, six weeks, give or take, and they've all been really powerful. Got some really wild feedback. What's that? Those are on Thursdays and Fridays still? Thursday and Friday, yeah. Great. Cool. And how can they um, find those via your website? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, everything you can do is uh, any way to, uh, well, my website is basically has everything on there. It'll have information about the private sessions um, and also this group work. And I used to do a lot of different groups where, for example, like a 20-week program. And I just felt in, it's like, you know what? Everyone's, not everyone, but a lot of people's income is just totally cut. So to ask someone to commit to a 20-week program when they don't know if they're going to be, have money for food in a few months or what the situation in the world is going to be like is just certainly not conducive to a peaceful healing environment. So it's drop in and my name, Dave Markowitz.com. Um, everything's on there. Just go to the groups tab and you'll see what's there. And uh, it's been quite a blessing to be able to change the work a little bit, not so much depending how you look at it to be able to affect even more people. Um, you know, total blessing. I mean, win-win. You know, everyone wins with that kind of situation. Yes. And your books are amazing. I highly recommend both of them. Thank you for joining me, Dave. It's been a great conversation. I'm so glad to be able to get this information out to our listeners and you shared a lot of valuable information. I really appreciate your time.
Thank you. thank you for joining me, everyone. This is Liz Peterson on Raise the Vibe with Liz. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you for joining me, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.